Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. A little bit later on, we're gonna talk about the Razzie Awards and you know, if it's okay to poke fun at a bad movie or are there such things as a bad movie? Nobody sets out to make a bad movie. So we'll get to that a little bit later on. And we'll do that with my guests. April Mullen is here. Badsville is the name of the movie. Uh, you shot in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, it looks beautiful. We're going to talk all about it in just a few minutes. Uh, Sharon Lewis is here. She's the writer-director of the new film Brown Girl Begins. You have a very elaborate website, and I love that you have merchandise for your for your film, right? there's T-shirts. We're kind of going LA. Things. I listen. I <laughs> love it. Hollywood on. I love it. So and it's not a bad movie. It's not a bad movie. No, it's not a bad movie. Not a bad movie. I know. I'm here. I'm talking about the T-shirts right? when we should be talking about the movie. No, we'll I just don't want that. you to give me a Razzie award. <laughs> 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 and then uh, Craig Lozon is here. Uh, the drawer boy. Yeah. Is coming to the theater Passmorai, yep. 50th anniversary of that theater. It is a landmark uh, Canadian theater. It's uh, not just sort of legendary within Toronto, but it has had so much talent pass through there over the last 50 years. So many uh, plays. Uh, workshopped and created in that space yeah. uh, that now this year they're taking a look back and uh, sort of having a, a look back at the plays that, that have started there and a look forward to uh, mounting new plays yep. that we'll yep. be talking about in 50 years from now. Absolutely. Uh, first, though, let's talk about the Razzie Awards. So the Razzie Awards are announced every year around this time. This is the 38th annual Golden Raspberry Awards. And, you know, Jennifer Lawrence is nominated, Dakota Johnson, uh, Susan Sarandon, uh, we're all in, as the article in front of me says, quote, arguably terrible movies this year. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. It is fun to ridicule bad movies sometimes. I know that uh, when I'm writing a review, if a movie is absolutely irredeemable, it's a fun review to write, or it can be. And I don't always feel happy with myself later. I don't always feel proud about what I've done, but sometimes I do it. I know that nobody sets out to make a bad movie, but I just wonder now if the Razzies have crossed a line, whereas before they used to kind of celebrate terrible movies, and some movies just, you know, they, they don't measure up. Uh, but here we have, like, big movies, Mother being one of them, Jennifer Lawrence, which a lot of people loved, a lot of people hated, but at least it got people talking about going to the movies again. So I'll start with April. You're a film director, you write, you create, you seem to make a movie every year. Is that is that about right? <laughs> I wish. I or, try to. They take so it. long. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you don't set out to make a bad movie. You throw yourself at every single one of them. How do you feel about the Razzies? I feel like there's a big difference between indie filmmaking and then commercial mm -hmm. funded, like large multi-million dollar sort of franchise films. Those ones are in a different category. Yep. So if we're talking indie spirit, indie styles, I feel like those films are so fragile and the filmmakers, whether it's their first or second film, to be allowed to create without such harsh judgment might be a crucial thing in creating their second you know, feature or their third. Um, coming out of the gate, I think it's really important to try and stay positive because making a feature is such a difficult process to get it financed and see it through. And as an artist, you're sort of like ripped your skin away so that you're <laughs> see-through and exposed to the world. So it can be a fragile thing in terms of the indie filmmaking, but when it comes to large franchise, like $30 million and up, 
um, budgeted films, I think at that point, maybe we should be looking at what we're financing and why we're financing and why it's allowed to have huge amounts of slots in theaters. Well, see, that's interesting to me. There's a movie coming out this weekend called The Maze Runner, The Death Cure. Mm. And, you know, there's an unlot here just to, to, you know, talk badly about that film, but it's awful. And <laughs> and it probably cost $150 million see, to make. See, this is the problem. But, but a movie like that, uh, that, that, costs that much money that is sucking up that amount of time in movie theaters, marketing budget, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't feel that badly saying, you know what, they've missed the mark on Exactly, this. and I think they should yeah. be allowed to say that. Smaller films kind of annoy me a bit. Sharon, you want to well, jump in here? here's the thing is that when you criticize women, though, in those roles, that's mm. what's really hard because most women's roles are underwritten. They're not very complex. They're not really given the same tools usually right. as men. So I find it hard when, yeah, the film you can sort of give a Razzie Award to, but when you're sort of focusing on the women, it's rough. It's rough because they don't really have the same... What, what's the old mm-hmm. saying? Men choose movies, women choose roles? No. Or is it the opposite? Men choose movies, women well, choose Well, the roles. idea being that that uh, Tom Hanks or, I don't know, Will Smith yes. or somebody like that, they say, okay, we're going to choose this thing, this big thing yeah. that's going to make a lot. Whereas women don't get to go in and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna be uh, the star of this film and be at the helm of it and, and you know, unless you're... Gal Gadot, maybe in a Wonder Woman film, you don't get to do that True. so much as women. So I, I, the old legend has it: you know, men choose movies, women choose roles. I'm, I think that's changing a little bit. I think it's changing. Yeah, I think you know that whole discussion about whether or not we're moving forward and all of this hashtag Me Too is mm-hmm. actually making a change. I think the fact that we're even talking about it is making a change. Yeah. I mean, that's my sort of relentless optimism. That's what I, you know, I don't think we're revolutionizing the world in a day. Yeah. Sometimes optimism is all you got. (laughs) Craig? Yeah, I mean, I think I used to like it when it seemed like they were, like you said at the beginning, they used to celebrate these movies that... And it was kind of a fun thing. Now it's mean. I think now what I feel is that it's gotten mean. mean-spirited, yeah. Yeah. And when you're, you know, and, and... so maybe it's a bad movie, but the people in them aren't necessarily bad. Sometimes you get a great actor who puts a, a bad uh, performance on, sure. But like in that movie, Mother, I'm sure Jennifer Lawrence was great because she's always great in everything. Even yeah. that one she did with, um, I can't remember the name. It was another woman's name, I think. Joy. Joy, yeah. Joy. I liked Joy. I liked Joy. I liked Joy. Yeah. I'm going to say it loud and proud. It got panned, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but she was great in it. And like Donald Sutherland was the best thing in Lockup. But, you know, <laughs> well, you know, he, he's always great even when he's in crappy movies. And he's in a lot of crappy movies. Well, it, it, Donald Sutherland is usually the best or has often been the best thing yeah. though, in, in a lot and of And I movies. can't believe they made the third one of the, 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 of the, the Maze Runner. Maze Runner. Yeah. The other two are crap. Yeah. It, well, but people went to see them. And I think once you start a trilogy, you just can't go, well, mm-hmm. we're, we're giving up now. And I got to say, my 13-year-old son loves them. Really? Loves them. Okay, here's my thing about all these young adult movie franchises that seem to come out kind of around the same time. So you had the Divergent series mm-hmm. with probably your teenagers maybe. Yes, yeah. yes. And then, and the then uh, there was the Hunger Games. They, to me, were the only ones that were uh, real go-to movies. Like people flocked to them. They made a superstar out of Jennifer Lawrence. Twilight. Twilight, yeah. Twilight. I'm thinking of the big sort of dystopian ones where kids get killed. Right, They, they have right. to fight one another, <laughs> right? Right, right, right. Uh, and then the Maze Runner. And for my money, the Maze Runner was always kind of, and maybe maybe because I'm not 15, 
the Maze Runner was sort of the least interesting of all of them yeah. for me. I, I do think my son is like, Hunger Games is up here. Yeah. Like, it's up here. He gets Did he the... read the books first, or is it just the movies that he loved? Then he read the books. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. then he read the books. Like, Maze I Runner, met... I think, is fun. It's like, yeah. what are those, Sharknados? I think yeah, 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 yeah. sort yeah. of in that yeah, yeah. kind of category. Uh, yeah. Like, I have a 16-year-old and a 12-year-old, and they love Hunger Games. They don't like the, uh, the, Maze, Runner the Maze Runner ones. They just think it's lame. Like, well, it's the same movie over and over again. Well, if they thought the mm. first two were lame, oh. wait till this one comes <laughs> around. And they love Sharknado. So, you know. They love Sharknado. Yeah, 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 Isn't yeah. that a crazy thing? Yeah. Actually, I, I love Sharknado. second coming. It's his... Uh... Yeah, and, and Tara <laughs> Reid, right? Tara yeah, Reid, yeah, yeah. uh, uh, that's her career now, which is cool. Yeah, I mean, she's listen, people are, people are watching them, you know. Uh, so the 80s are back now in pop culture. And, you know, my fear is that this nostalgia movement is moving so quickly that soon we'll have nothing to be nostalgic about. You know, we, we are we are recycling so much of, you know, when I was a kid, everyone looked to the 50s, right? Mm-hmm. The 50s and 60s. You know, yeah, I was born in 63. So, yeah, that kind of stuff. And then, you know, we moved forward and... And it stayed that way. We just kept talking about the 60s endlessly up until about 10 years ago. Now, all of a sudden, it's 80s nostalgia, and there's 90s, There's nostalgia for the 90s now. Um, I just wonder uh, if, it's, if it's selling us a brand that we are already familiar with and therefore feel comfortable with, or... Uh, is it that we are are drawn to this stuff because it reminds us of a simpler time, a less complicated time? April, what do you think? I think it's that. I think it's uh, the simpler time that everybody's sort of longing for, maybe yeah. a world without cell phones and without color TV, and you get to go around on your bikes outside and look for E.T. It's like the world of imagination and the sense of wonder that maybe has been lost, and it kind of sparks that inner child in all of us and the imagination again, and so we want to believe uh, and watch and escape into what we remember. I think so, too, sure. Yeah, I think I think it was a simpler time, definitely, before social media. It be- didn't feel like it at the time, though. No. no. I mean, I grew up thing. in the 80s. And let yeah, me tell me you, it wasn't simple to get yeah. the hair that big <laughs> or to get the uh, shoulder Aquanet. pads, right? Was it right? Aquanet? Yeah. Is that what they like, I love <laughs> shoulder pads. Shoulder pads were my... You're not like, wearing any Yeah, today, I should. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, that was actually difficult. And you're right. It didn't feel simpler. Like, no. it felt complicated. It felt... Do you remember Pong came yeah. in around? Yeah, right? Pong was around there. I was so jealous of the people who had Pong. If I only knew now that it would be, right? I wanted, I had, my cousin had Telstar, which was just like one, it had paddles on it. You could play Pong or uh, handball. Right, they were like, yeah, and and it was slow. Oh, yeah. And you had to get up, remember, and hit the remote, that remote box with like 40 channels. Remote. I was the remote. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it is interesting, though, when you think back, you know, uh, I remember reading a quote from a film director named Ken Russell, and he made a lot of historical dramas that all looked very, uh, they were very stylish. And he said, well, when you're, no one in history thinks that they're living in history. They are living, according to them, in the most advanced time that there's ever been. So whether the movie's set in 1632 or 1851 or 2011, uh, you want it to be shiny and new. And that's what his films look like. He made a movie called The Devils where uh, it's it's set in this tent and it's all shiny and gleaming and he got beaten up for it. And that was exactly the thing. He said, no, yeah. people weren't living in, you know, yeah. living in diminished circumstances. They thought they were living at the pinnacle of yeah. civilization. 
conversation at that moment. I also think as a filmmaker, it's easier to do the 80s. You know, trying to figure out how to do <laughs> yeah. cell phone and social media and yeah. incorporate that into into the conversation and having, you know, youth looking down at their phone and shooting that and making it interesting. It's almost well, and, easier. And just to make a thriller, if everyone had a cell phone and they're hiding in the closet, they could yep. just call the police. We have to leave it there. We'll come back. I, I have yet to see a movie where texting has worked in a movie. Where you know it comes up on the Agreed. screen and stuff, and it hasn't yeah. it hasn't really worked so far. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation, and we're going to talk with Sharon Lewis uh, about her movie Brown Girl Begins. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In studio, we have April Mullen. Badsville will be in a theater near you when Friday. Friday, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, Craig Luzon is here. So uh, the Drawer Boy, Yo. which I'm having trouble saying. Drawer it's not easy boy. to say. Draw. It's like. Uh, on 30 Rock was rural. it the rural drawer yeah, you, think of, you think of drawer like a, like a dresser drawer but it's a drawer it's a like, drawer because you draw things in yeah, this play he's an and, architect. It, and it will be at uh, the Theater Pass Morai mm-hmm. uh, in March we'll get to all the, the nitty gritty about that in just a little while I'm going to talk about Brown Girl Begins uh, this is uh, a film by Sharon Lewis, inspired by uh, Nalo Hopkinson's award-winning novel, Brown Girl in the Ring. Yeah, so here's the tongue twister. It's an Afro-futurist feature okay. film. I saw, I, I saw that, and, and t- explain what the tagline means then to people who don't know anything about this story. All right, so we say... We'd say hashtag the future is her. And we're sort of talking about it as an Afrofuturist film. And really, it's just a long way of saying there are black people in the future. (laughs) Really, that's all we're saying. It's like, we're here and you can't ignore us. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's set in Toronto. So it's actually saying that there are black people who are going to lead people out of dystopia. So that's really what we're trying to say is that we're the future. This is kind of like the Maze Runner and all those in <gasps> the Hunger Games and all those other movies we were talking about that are set kind of in a dystopian, post-apocalyptic yes, kind of thing. Right? But with black people. With black people. Yes, and we're not going to get a Razzie. <laughs> yes, I hope. Or maybe it's a maybe it's a compliment if we do. Yeah. So Brown Girl in the Ring was one of those books that everyone seemed to have in their hands on the subway, everywhere I went, that people were reading books. People yeah. were reading this book. Yeah. Um, how did it arrive on your doorstep, and how did it go from being a very successful book to uh, to the screen? So the author Nalo Hopkinson and I were doing sort of the arts community stuff here in Toronto, and then I moved to LA, mm-hmm. and I was hanging out in LA, couldn't get a job to save my life, <laughs> struggling actress, so I spent a lot of time in bookstores, and I walked into a black bookstore in LA, and I saw that Nalo had a novel published and it was brown girl in the ring i pulled it down i started reading it i was like this is wicked this is about toronto this has caribbean patois in it this has a young black female protagonist and uh and at that moment i was like i'm gonna make this a film i'd never directed i hadn't done anything at that point (laughs) so fast forward 20 years later i've made the film so 20, 20 years. years. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, I was two when I was well, reading yeah. the book. <laughs> well, and the, 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 the movie is set in 2049. So mm. you got it done just in time. I know. So it could still be futuristic. And you know who else set their movie? They followed us, right? Oh, Blade, Blade Runner. Runner. See? Blade Runner. All it's these... the same universe probably, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> and so you shot in Toronto. We shot in Toronto. And we shot down on Cherry Street, which is these old cement factories, which is 
absolutely stunning. And I also shot my first uh, sci-fi short film there as I was warming up. And as you look across the water, you see Toronto. So you see that skyline of Toronto. And we didn't have a lot of money. It was a very indie film. So what we did was we set Toronto's skyline as where all the wealthy are. And then in the novel and in the film, the poor are are segregated to an island off the coast of of Toronto. Which is, well, was perfect geographically shooting where you did because yeah. you do have that sense of scale and and, yeah. and and also production value is pretty beautiful. I mean, it's, the, oh, yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And also, I don't know, do you guys think this could happen? This is the thing that so interested me about the film is that we say that the wealthy have segregated the poor. And to me, you know what's happening south, we can mm-hmm. kind of see similar things. Listen, I think that all great uh, speculative fiction all well, any any great genre, whether it's a sports movie or it's a science fiction movie or it's a musical or whatever, isn't about the sport or the the story. Uh, specifically, it's about a universal truth of some sort, right? The Walking Dead is, isn't just about shooting zombies in the head. It's about uh, uh, any number of societal mm-hmm. ills that mm-hmm. that people have, and you know, Brown Girl in the Ring. Uh, or the movie is called Brown, Brown Girl, Girl Begins. Begins. Is this like the first? Is it, is there going to be that Brown Girl's back? And a then trilogy. Br- is it a trilogy? Yes, I might hope. I my hope dream. so too. Yeah. I hope that happens. <laughs> uh, but but it sounds uh, like you're making a larger social point here. And which, I don't know, could it happen? It certainly has happened in, in lots of countries. Yeah, and I think that I think that's what really attracted me to the novel is that, you know, we see it happening in Detroit. We see, you know, it happening in larger American cities. And I think we kind of feel insulated in Canada. Like, ah, I don't know if this could happen here. We don't have such a big problem. And my love for this story is going, hey, it could happen Mm -hmm. here. You know, like it is happening here in smaller communities. So let's look at what dystopia means to everybody. To everybody. Because, I mean, I think when I think of the word dystopian, I think of uh, you know these barren landscapes where there's nothing, but that's not necessarily that's not necessarily it. Yeah, right? and I think I think barren landscape can be. Oh my gosh, I'm living in a community that doesn't have access right. to water ex- or anything or exact whatever. Yeah. Water, electricity. You know, uh, proper political. Well, think of New York in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, think of that's Times it, exactly. Square. Think of Times yeah. Square. Think of you know all you know. You, you had incredible wealth living on you know Fifth Avenue and the Upper East Side and that sort of thing. And then uh, not far because Manhattan's not all that big. Yeah. Not far from there, you know, people are dying of drug overdoses in the in the street. And I had a friend of mine living in an apartment in New York in the 1970s that had a hole in the floor that had just rotted away that he could see directly into the apartment downstairs. And they didn't think it was that weird because that's all they could afford. And I'll wow. say while we were filming down at Cherry Street, there is like this an old sort of shell of a farmhouse. Mm-hmm. There's these cement factories. There are people living down there, yeah. right? There are people actually living there. Yeah. And um, and we're thinking, oh, this couldn't happen in Toronto. you know. But it was cold. We were shooting in October, November, yep. and people were living there, making fires, trying to keep warm. Yeah, and we're, I just read that article about how Toronto is now one of the most expensive, unattainable places yeah. to live. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I'm not. It's getting more I, and more expensive. Uh, absolutely mm-hmm. it is. And, yeah. and if you're 17 years old and you move here to go to school or do whatever, how do you live? Yeah, how, how do you, do you like in Or Vancouver. Or the, like I, I don't understand. You know, when I first moved to Toronto, it was a long time ago, but my my first apartment rent, I split it with somebody. It was 55 bucks. I paid 55 My brother paid 55 $110 a month for a hellhole. It was an awful place, but at least we had a place to live. And there was a thriving arts community because you could afford to live mm-hmm. here. Artists mm-hmm. could afford to live here. And I think that's changing. Definitely. Yeah. 
Uh, Sharon, where can we see Brown Girl Begins? Where and when? Brown Girl Begins, it premieres at the AGO for a big gala on February 24th, and then it's at Cineplex at Young and Dundas from March 3rd to March 8th. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so it's much. It's 20 years. 20 years yeah, from picking right. a book up in your hand to uh, seeing the movie come out. That's amazing. A uh, little bit later on, I'm going to revisit that. I'm going to find out how you remain enthusiastic for a project over that amount of time. Drugs. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. April Mullen is here. Her film is called Badsville. Craig Luzon is here at the, uh, the not the book, not the movie, no. but the play the other is, writing. is called Drawer, Drawer Boy. Stay with us. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. We just heard all about Sharon Lewis's film, Brown Girl Begins. You can see it at the AGO soon. That's cool. February 24th. Uh, that's cool. And then it opens. And Misha Brugger Ghostman's going to be singing. I know. And she's in the film. She's I in the film, too. I love her. Oh, my God. She is best describing she's enormously talented as oh. an opera singer. But she's a spark plug. Totally. She really is. She's totally fun. Yeah, I, you yeah. know, you think of opera singers as being kind of, you know, to do. Yeah, yeah, sort of, you know, a little, yeah, and, and she's not. Oh, she's, she's down not. to earth oh, and no. fun and, yeah. No, Barefoot. She, yeah, yeah, she's yeah. awesome. We had yeah. her on Air Force and she was game. She, yeah. We oh. had her up on a wrecking ball and she sang Miley Cyrus. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. I, I love, love that. Uh, April Mullen is here. Badsville is uh, opening on Friday. We're going to talk all about that. That looks so beautiful. And uh, Craig Luzano is here. So, Air Force, you just mentioned Air Force. One yeah. of the, the great treats of my life was being mocked by the Air Force people. Yeah, for sure. I enjoyed it. Uh, and really, seriously, like <laughs> my phone lit up when it yeah, happened. People too, either love things. it or they hate it. Yeah. yeah. Strombo yeah. loved it too. I used to do Strombo. Yeah, something. that's right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and now we can see you on stage for as part of the 50th anniversary of the Theater Pasmorai. Yeah. Um, March uh, 17th, no, March 10th. For what's called a relaxed performance. Yeah. Well, I think we open on the 6th. The 10th, the 10th is um, anybody that has, uh, some people shy away from going to the theater if they have a breathing machine or if they have right, uh, right, right. Tourette's or anything. Um, so the lights are kind of up. We can see the audience. There's no there's no uh, pressure on them to be, uh, you know, if, if people even with cerebral palsy sometimes are, 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 make sound. Yeah. And so we're saying, don't worry about it, come. We also are doing uh, ASL shows. Where yeah. There'll be uh, ASL actors being our, like if Marley Matlin was on a talk right. show and her speaker was with her, yeah. it'd be like that. Like there's be another actor with us doing. That's doing the show. audio described performance on yeah. Saturday, March 17th. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is cool. Yeah. It's a great show. It's one of the it's one of the seminal sort of Canadian mm -hmm. theater pieces. It's been done all over the world. It's made Michael Healy a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, it, they, anywhere that they speak English and have farms, they've done this show. It's been done in New Zealand, Scotland, everywhere. And it's called the Drawer Boy because he draws things. He's an architect. Uh, tell us about the 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 gist of the story. Um, some people kind of describe it as the Canadian of mice and men. It's about these two men. Uh, they're great friends and out of high school. One of them is kind of a Morgan who's played by Andrew Moody in this production of it. It's actually an interesting production because for the first time it's not going to be three white guys on stage. It's mm. a, a native actor, me, and a black actor, uh, Andrew Moody. And um, it's being uh, produced or directed by a Filipina, yeah. uh, Nina Lee Aquino. Uh, she's a fantastic director and she's uh, putting her, her t twist on it with us in it. And uh, so um, it's... Based on Theatre Prasmarai's 
earlier show called the 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 farm show, which the actors Paul Thompson, Miles Potter, went out into rural Ontario and lived on farms. To, I remember to gather this, yeah. stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. gathered yeah. stories about it. And so this is sort of Michael Healy's sort of fictionalizing what happened to Miles Potter and the people that he was living on the farm with. And so he's turned their story into this story. So it's kind of meta meta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, life imitating yeah, art, imitating yeah. life. So yeah. these two guys, the story is they, they go off to war. The one who was really just going to be a farmer, Morgan, talks Angus, who's going to go off to be an architect, uh, talks him into enlisting in the, in the, in the war. And uh, Second World War. So that he gets in the go, and then being over there, gets uh, hit with some uh, shrapnel and gets brain damage. And so they come back. The play takes place when they come back, and it's after the war, 30 years after the war, and they've been living on this farm working, and Morgan takes care of Angus, and they're, uh, then this young actor shows up and starts picking away at their life, and it sort of culminates in, a, in, in Angus realizing what has happened to himself. No spoiler. Yeah, yeah no yeah, spoilers yeah. here. <laughs> well, and you know, Morgan's been feeding him a story about who he is and how he right. is. And, and uh, why is it that this play seems to have struck a chord with so many people for so long? Um, I think it's the relationship with these two guys. Like, they, it's, it's, it's heterosexual love. Like, these two guys love each other. And it's, it's uh, companionship. And, and the one guy feeling so responsible and wanting to take care of them. I don't know why I'm feeling emotional all of a sudden talking about it. But it's, uh, and then this this young guy who's just asking questions. Yeah. And I just think it really uh, makes people look at themselves and, and what we, the stories, the masks and stuff that we wear in different situations, like who I am with you, who I am with my mom. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like that. It's these, yeah, it's just two guys that love each other. Have, when I first met you, you were doing comedy. Yeah. And, 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 I think probably it's safe to say most people know you from the Air Force, or a lot of people yeah. are from the Air Force. This doesn't sound like a comedy. No, it's not a comedy. I've been doing, I've, since Air Force went off the air as, an, as a weekly series, I've been doing mostly theater because I cannot get a job <laughs> in film and television because everyone thinks of me not just as a comic, but as a specific kind of comic. Right, like a sketch yeah, comic? Yeah, a sketch yeah. comic, and Air Force is, you know, yeah. a little bit bigger, and it doesn't get, for whatever reason, doesn't get a lot of respect in the industry either. Um, like, we never get nominated for, right. you know, we do a special every year. And, you anyway, know what? Ratings are enough sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> we get a million six this yeah, year. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, but, um, so I've been doing a lot of, th- and all the theater I've been doing for the most part has been non-comedic stuff. Right. Because I'm an actor. I'm not a comedian. Yep. Um, so in order to do the stuff I want to do, it's all been in theater. Have you found over the time of doing more and more theater, mm-hmm. uh, you said that there was... I, for lack of a better term, non-traditional casting here. As an Indigenous actor, have you found that there are more roles for you available than there might have been a number of years ago? Uh, it's interesting. I often get sent, because my agent uh, knows that I'm Indigenous, I don't necessarily read as Indigenous on right. t- film and television, so I never get those parts, because uh, I don't look. They don't, they don't want to have to explain anything right. on film and television. They okay. just want to be able to see the guy and go, oh, that guy's Native. Yeah, And... Um, so, I mean, I kind of go out for all stuff because I can, you know, for lack of a better word, I can pass for white or Correct. Italian or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, this I've been growing this beard for almost three months. This is for the play. <laughs> yeah, this is for the yeah. play. <laughs> um, but uh, it takes me a while. But um, 
I mean, I can I can go out for all kinds of roles, and I get seen for stuff. I just uh, they just always oh you're on Air Force. I'm like hmm. So as much good as it's done for my career uh, in terms of getting getting work and stuff, it's uh, I feel like it's it's hindered it a bit in that other arena. It's an interesting thing. I mean, I guess it's typecasting. Mm-hmm. I guess it's it's you know, uh, uh, and it's also <laughs> a relatively small community. Yeah. You know, and and I think it's funny to see the reactions of Sharon and April when you're mentioning people's names they're like saying oh yeah I know I know them yes, I know yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. everybody knows one another yeah. you know yeah. that's something that happens here I think. yeah yeah it's true and it's it's yeah I just I I want this is the first show actually equity show in Toronto that I've done uh, I always I'm always in like out west or, yeah, yeah. you know it's so weird it's just a very tight community sometimes so I'm hoping uh that it goes well and, and people will start hiring me for other stuff. Well, people will see you in yeah. the Drawer Boy, uh, written by Michael Healy uh, at Theatre Pasmerai. And it, they have an, an entire year of, of yes. 50th anniversary yeah. stuff planned. And it's going to be very cool over there. Bob Naismith is doing Crab's Last Tape right now. And yeah. it's incredible. Yeah, He's yeah. Phenomenal. The Beckett play, right? Yeah. Samuel yeah. Beckett. So great. Uh, and it starts on uh, March 6th, and then there's the cool performances we were talking about, the yeah. relaxed performance, the audio-described performance, ASL performances, uh, and they take place on March 10th, the 17th. Mm-hmm. seems like Saturdays and Sundays uh, yeah. you're doing something, putting a little twist on the, yeah. on the yeah. presentation. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so that's uh, The Drawer Boy. Check that out. We've just got, like, a minute left here. So April... Mm-hmm. Do you want Alexa or your cell phone or anything making recommendations to you about what movies you should watch? I think it's already happening in Do different you? ways. Yeah, because the same ads pop up and certain things, they are kind of trending and watching what you do anyways. So it's happening, I feel, uh, whether we like it or not, in different ways anyways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because that's the new thing. Alexa, you will say to Alexa, I feel like watching Groundhog Day and... Alexa apparently will say, well, don't you mean Where the Buffalo Roam? That was a better Bill Murray movie, (laughs) one that you haven't seen in a long time. And I'm not sure that I need to be judged by my electronics. I get enough of that in regular life. But when we come back, we will uh, continue that conversation, and we will do so with April Mullen. We're going to talk all about Badsville. Uh, We've heard about Brown Girl Begins. That's Sharon Lewis, uh, her film. She wrote it. She directed it. Uh, It's coming soon to Young and Dundas in Toronto, and then it will go to streaming services and things. Everyone's going to have a chance to have a look at this. Alexa will tell you to watch Alexa it. Alexa will yes. tell you to watch yeah, it. Yes. After when you say, I'd like to watch the dystopian <laughs> film The Maze Runner, and Alexa will suggest this instead. <laughs> and The Drawer Boy is uh, Craig Lazon's show at the Theatre Passmore. I'll give you more details a little bit later on. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. In studio, we have Sharon Lewis. Her film, Brown Girl Begins, will be playing at Young and Dundas. March 2nd to March 8th. And if you're uh, feeling fancy, you can go see it at the AGO, the Art Gallery of Ontario, before that. And then it will come to streaming services, and Alexa will tell you to watch it if, you're in a, if, you, if you don't happen to be in Toronto. Uh, but it sounds like a fascinating film. If you're also in Toronto and want to see Craig Lozon on stage, uh, in March, go to the Theatre Pasmarai, 50th uh, anniversary, uh, a remounted, and sounds like a uh, re- Imagined version yeah. of the yeah. of the uh, drawer boy. It's a tough one. To it's say. a tough one to say. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get letters saying uh, you can't say drawer, and it'll be like, nope, that's, that's not what it is. It's drawer. <laughs> boy. Drawer. 
Badsville. I can say that one. That's April Mullen's new film. You shot it in Los Angeles. Yes, we did. Cool. Mm-hmm. And and why why shoot down there? It's actually the first time writers. It's their. It's based loosely on their hometown. Yep. And it's sort of a place on the map that's non-existent to the rest of the world. Badsville. It's a little bubble, exactly. Yeah. And there's a lot of gangs there and violence there, and so it kind of puts a spotlight in a in a town like that. This is a little different than uh, your other films. It yes. feels like it, you seem to genre jump. I jump ship a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I love new challenges. Yeah. So yeah, I, there's still a through line. There's it's a love story at the end of the day. There's a core and a heartbeat to it, and involves you know honesty and loyalty and band of brothers. And there's so there's this amazing family feel to the film, but it's also brutally violent and uh, full of heartbreak and hope is lost throughout the film, but it, it has a, an amazing uh, center to it, a lot of passion. And how did you come to this? How did it, or how did it come to you? David Phillips, a Canadian producer, read the script and called me and said, look, there's this little micro-budget film. I need you to read the script and tell me what you think. And the main actors are the writers. And I right. thought, okay, you never know what's going to happen. So I read mm-hmm. the script and I fell in love with it. There was something really fresh. It's a rockabilly, greaser, gangster kind of 40s throwback. And it kind of is timeless in its way. And I had never read anything like it because of the opposition between the love story and the the brutal violence. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like a Romeo and Juliet tale, um, but within the gang. And, and uh, it was uh, very exciting to meet them. And then when I met them, the main actors had this... They both wear their hearts on their sleeves. They have this vulnerability, but one's a, a retired wrestling player and one's a hockey player. So they're they're in these bodies that are gigantic and so strong and so beautiful, but yet they have this vulnerability to them that made them leading men. It's like a dream, you know, to work with both of those guys. Wow. Uh, I'm just trying to think of, uh, are they first-time actors? No. Yes. They They've are? been training for, you know, over a decade, but it's their first time on the screen. Wow. And does that present a challenge to you as a director? Only for technical things, you yeah. know, like understanding blocking and how the schedule works and, you know, moving and shimmying to play to camera. They really didn't have any understanding of how to, you know, make sure their eyes are always level with the horizon and right. being able to see into their souls and lingering on moments. They would always try to cheat themselves out. So the, as a director, it's actually fun to kind of coax them to, you know, reveal more to the camera. So I just I love working with new human beings because even Erica Linder for Below Her Mouth mm-hmm. had never acted before. So she was a model so she yeah. understood a camera but she I have didn't... an obsession with discovery. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, listen, I, I think it keeps it fresh. Yes, right? it does. Yeah. And there's these little idiosyncrasies that trained actors sort of are hit on the wrist to get rid of and I love these little humanisms that, you know, they're unaware of that make them very spectacular to watch on screen and they're sort of mesmerizing in their own way because they have their unique personality traits and physicalities and the way they walk or it hasn't been stomped out of them to become this neutral body, which we do in theater school. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. uh, Earlier this week, I interviewed uh, the three guys who stopped the terrorist attack on a train in Paris a couple of years ago. And they are now the stars of the story of their lives in the new Clint Eastwood movie. Clint cast them, cast the three guys to play themselves in a movie called The 1517 to Paris. And uh, I was asking them, uh, I said, did you take acting lessons? It was like absolutely forbidden by Clint Eastwood that we take acting lessons. He didn't want actors. He wanted people that real, that, real, that felt real on screen. Mm-hmm. It yeah. really works for some features, mm-hmm. for sure, for sure, if the script allows for it. It could go horribly wrong. It oh, it could. could. Yeah. It's rolling oh a God. big dice. Yeah. And you know on day one, it's like you don't, you within 30 minutes of being on set, you're like either this is fantastic or you're like, 
Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like with a wrestler, I don't I don't know who it was, but they are so used to being so big because they're pin, like, you know, they're playing mm. to the back of that. that yeah, yeah. To bring that down for film it must have been... Must he was been, lightweight. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you always got to roll on the first take. They don't like rehearsal, those wrestlers. Mm. They always do their first Magic take. Magic happens on the first take, for sure. Yeah. Because I, I did a thing with Roddy Piper and he was like, you got to roll on the first take. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't rehearse. His, his first one was always the best one. Because then so he'd try and remember what he said when he was going for the next thing. Or whatever. Yeah, or doing the same yeah. thing in the same way over yeah. and over yeah. again. Yeah. 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 yeah, I'm bad for that. I've yeah. I, I've not been in uh, a lot of movies, but I've been in a couple just in the background, and I can never do the same thing twice <laughs> in a row. It's always slightly different and slightly weird the second time and third time and fourth time. Mm. Um, so uh, what do people take away from, from Badsville? Is there a message or is it a... Is it a film that we can just sit back and revel in the romance and violence? You know, I think what makes it special is that it definitely has a unique, very unique aesthetic and very different sort of storyline in a lot of ways. So if you're looking for a new voice, new performers, something fresh and really uh, indie-spirited, I think it's a fantastic alternative to, like, big commercial films. It's really well done and it's a strong indie heart, you know? What did you base the look on? I haven't seen the film, but the the photos are beautiful. My imagination. Yeah? (laughs) You know, you just kind of mesh a bunch of worlds together. I kind of thought like Nicholas Ray. There was like a little Nicholas Ray kind of feel to it. Yeah, there's a greaser feel. And uh, yeah, it's a mix of a whole bunch of things. And the guys also had a bunch of ideas that I love to incorporate. And so they're wearing like three-quarter length trench coats. And they're sort of these very dapper looking. But then they're yet in a gang. So it's not the classic leather jackets. Right. So there's a real unique look to the, the overall film. There's an innocence to the film, too. And I, I really love that part. We were talking about sort of the throwback to a simpler time. There's yeah, an yeah. innocence to their characters and what they go through in their journey. And I think audiences, we've won so many awards, I think they can easily relate to the main characters and really feel a lot of compassion for what they're going through. Because it's like, trying to reach outside of yourself and looking for hope and breaking the mold, you know? So you made this film probably last year, is that right? No, I shot it before Below Her Mouth. Oh, mm-hmm. well, so what happens there? So it, Below Her you, uh, Below Her Mouth was at the film festival, not last year, but the year before, yes, right? So correct. So this movie's been around for a while. Again, my question to Sharon and to, to April, how do you maintain enthusiasm for a project over the course of a number of years. I told you I'd wind my way back there. So April, I'll start with you and then Sharon, if you can jump in. I think it's this phenomenal thing that artists have is when you start to embark on a project, for me at least, it's like I'm all in. Yeah. And whether it takes two, five, ten, a decade to get there. You know, there's a film that when we started doing features 15 years ago with my own production company, there's a film that I've wanted to make, but I'm still not ready yet. And it's like, I call it the Oscar film, but it's still, I feel like it's 10 years still away. (laughs) But I feel like, you know, um, you grow as a person, but you just really, you have to stay true to the project you're making and you never abandon it because you you are there. You're you're its heartbeat. You're there by its side. You never give up on any, you know, or you never flinch or go off course because it's so um, important to stay on track even though it takes sometimes three years to get distribution. You know, you go with it to the film festivals as it builds momentum and you stay there and you, you build it with it. You build the audiences and you, you reach out and you reach wider every time. So sometimes it just takes a lot longer, especially for smaller films. Sharon, 20 years for you. Yeah, 
I think sometimes I did walk away. Like I tried, you know, like a bad relationship. You're like, I need to leave this relationship. I'm not getting anything out of it. But then you realize it actually needs work and you've got to come back. And, you, you know, I fall in love again. And I'm like, okay, I'm here. I'm here again. Yeah, and also, I think it sounds kind of corny, but you have no choice. Right. It feels like it's as an so artist, true. you have yeah. no choice. Like this story has to be told. So even if you sort of veer off, you mm-hmm. come back, right? You wake up dreaming it or you see yeah. images on the streets. There's these moments and you're like, oh, that belongs in that film. And you're like, oh, yes. it's still there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Craig, do you have anything that you've been dying to do that's been stuck in the back of your head for a long time? Um, I, it's still funny. I just had a meeting yesterday with a buddy of mine. And it, it was the timing of it is unbelievable because I just saw a trailer for a film called Poop Talk. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we've been working on uh, an idea for a show or a, a film. And I don't know if I can. It was called Epic. Yep. Uh, based on a poo story. <laughs> uh, and we just wanted to, because everyone has one. Everyone has a story about this horrible incident that yeah. happened. So we just wanted to go around collecting people's stories and uh, about it. And then, you know, f- then shooting vignettes about them or animations, depending yeah. on the story. Yeah. Uh, and then we just saw this trailer for Poop Talk, which I don't think is as good as ours. But, and ours, is, uh, can I say shit? Well, you just did. Okay. So there we go. Based on the poop story. It's going to happen. You so, should still do that. I know. I, 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 sure. We just talked about it yesterday. We had a meeting with a, a woman who's a producer, and she's kind of interested. And she told us hers, which was about a lawyer. Her, 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 her friend of hers is a lawyer. Cra- I would love Alexa pants. recommending yeah. that. I, see, what I, I yeah, love right? is that right? everyone's going to tell you the story. They're gonna, it's all going to start like this, though. So this didn't happen to me, right, yeah. but right, it actually exactly. happened to my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My friend who looks a lot like me. But that's the thing. I've, I've always heard Like a film usually takes about 10 years from the time that you mm-hmm. think about it and start writing it or whatever to getting it made. It's like 10 years. It can be. I mean, I, you know, I know I've, I've written a bunch of books. And and they take time. They yeah. take time, years. And and I, if I had been asked, you know, what keeps you enthusiastic about it, I'm not sure I'd really have an answer other than you just kind of have to do it. You Otherwise, you're never going to do anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because everything takes so everything long, takes so long. That, that if you are easily dissuaded, if you give up on things, you will never get anything done. Um, that is all the time I have with by. the beautiful people at my panel. Uh, Sharon Lewis, the movie is called Brown Girl Begins. Um, you can see that at the AGO. And Calgary. And Calgary. Calgary, February 13th. Montreal, February see, 8th. It's all everywhere. across Canada. Yeah, it's all, it would be all across Canada. Check it out. And, uh, and uh, as we get closer to it, I'll mention it again on the air and make sure that people know when it's playing. Uh, Drawer Boy is at the uh, Theatre Pazmarai in March. Craig Luzon. Go see that. It's I'll go great, see this. I will show. be there. Please I will come, come yeah, support come. you and go see it. And Badsville is open in theaters on Friday. April Mullen is the director. Um, sounds cool. Looks and VOD beautiful. February 6th, so everybody can have it. That's the VOD, thing. ITunes. I think another time we should have all you guys back and talk about whether or not movies have to play in theaters anymore. <sighs> because there's yes. a there's a, a, a bit of polarization between yeah. filmmakers who grew up watching films on the big screen and wanting their movies to play there and not. But... That's for another show. Netflix says no. Netflix says no. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for being here. Thanks, everyone out there, for listening. And thanks to Andre on the board.